No credentials. Reviewing Rolling Stone 500. Greatest album. Welcome back, everyone, to the Sound Logic Podcast. Last week, we tackled a, a former review of Ramon's self-titled album. And this week, we move on to another one that we've already tackled before. At number 48, we're looking at Legend, the best of Bob Marley and the Whalers. Ben, is this love? It's definitely a lot slower than that punk music that I just had in my headphones with our <laughs> previous review. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is um, a few things. Uh, this might be a longer intro than normal because there's, there's a few things I want to talk about. <laughs> First of all, and you mentioned it last week, um, this continues to be our most listened to review by far like not even close like by double anything else so for whatever reason our listeners um, all of you have enjoyed this have enjoyed this review we had a great guest in uh, bram willie who joined us and was really able to give us a ton of insight on on bob marley and the whalers and also reggae in general and, and lots of yep. great stuff so it was it was a wonderful uh experience to share with bram um it's it's of course bob marley is beloved the world round his music this album is one of the best-selling albums of all time and certainly one of the best-selling compilation albums of all time um so maybe that's another reason why people are tuning in and are searching that finding that as they search through their podcasts on spotify or wherever uh so for whatever reason this continues to be one of our best um we'll see uh on the re the re-release if it continues now it's going to double perform who knows but um uh but yes uh it certainly is a great album and uh was a really fun review yeah, I mean, just to put it in perspective, too, uh, our, our podcast has uh, something north of 20,000 plays or downloads all time. This this particular episode, I think, is approaching 1,000. So, is it really? Okay. Wow. Like 5% of all, review, uh, of all uh, downloads and plays for one of our uh, more than wow. 100 episodes. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's wild wow. to continue to think of it. Um, we should just be releasing this one every week. I mean, I, I, if that's how we get plays and listens, we should just talk about Bob Marley every time. I'm, you know what? I'm okay with that. I, uh, I enjoy the music, and it really... Uh, I, I know we talked about this. You'll hear this in the, in the review as you listen to our great uh, review with Bram, but... Uh, I, I can't listen to Bob Marley and not be happy, especially this album. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah. we we did talk in the review that this this compilation, although it's it's popular and beloved and really great, it still only scratches the surface of his music and is very much catered to a specific audience, and that would be the yeah. kind of North American white, probably male audience in general. Um, right. In general, that's what the producer of that album was trying to do and and they did it very well obviously very successful but it doesn't touch on any of the protest stuff um it doesn't touch on on some of that stuff that might not be as uh desirable to the audience they were looking for yeah. or or that might yeah. speak against things like a big record company or government or whatever and so there's a huge 
uh, part of the music of Bob Marley and the Wailers that's not addressed at all on this album, on this uh, great compilation album. Um, and, and that was something that I found really, really interesting when we talked to Bram and, and I think is something that I think about a lot when I listen to this album and I do, and I'll put it on, especially if I just need a, uh, a cheer up or, or just to be put in a good mood. But I do also think, yeah, don't forget that this is just, just one, one aspect of the music they made. Yeah, and hopefully, I think we say this in the episode as well, but hopefully it inspires us to dig a little deeper. Uh, mm-hmm. It's fun to put this on and just sit back, relax. Um, you know, it, it doesn't really stir it up. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but hopefully it does inspire us to think, well, okay, so this is, this is some fantastic stuff here. What else is there to this man and this yeah. uh, legacy, this legend? And, and, and yes, this legend and, and his message, um, yeah. or many different messages. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention is on this list, we're at number 48. And this is the first compilation album on this new list this is the first one that we've come across if you listen to if you've listened to our podcast for a long time and you heard us get through 60 albums on the (laughs) 2000 2012 list you'll know that we were pretty harsh on compilation albums and we tackled what about 10 seemed like ish 10 or 12 in in that span of 60 albums so every every 10 or so we were getting one or two uh, compilation albums this time around we've already noted this at some point that they seem to have moved away uh, certainly in the top 50 moved away from compilation albums uh, greatest hits and other compilation albums um, and I think you and I are both in favor of this decision uh, I will see I see that in the next 10 we have we have a few coming up. Um, and then some of those ones that were that we reviewed already do have been shuffled down a little further and come up. But there are a number of compilation albums that we've already reviewed yeah. that were entirely removed from the list. And I think that as we are having discussions about is is an album still relevant? Um in the days of Spotify, in the days of just downloading whatever you want on playlists and kids not even knowing what it's like to hold any physical album at all, <laughs> is an album still relevant? And we feel with this list that that the people who are voting and, and the listeners as well are saying, yes, they are still very relevant. It's still important to have albums and moving away from those compilation, and I'll use in quotation, albums, which weren't really albums as we see them as music that was chosen by the artists hear the songs i want on this on this group of songs that tell a story or reflect our musical decisions at this time as opposed to especially in the case of legend a producer saying we're going to put out our greatest hits here's what we want it to be here's who we want the audience to be this is what's going to be on it and in almost every case that we very lightly researched the band is not involved at all at in the selection of those songs so uh so that that's the other thing this is the first compilation album i think that even though after reviewing this and you'll hear this i think you ben were still saying that even this album you felt didn't didn't 
shouldn't be on the list because no compilation albums should be on. You did admit that even in that, that this is, if any are going to be on, this is one of the best ones. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Do you Um, still hold to that? I, I still have (laughs) issues with a compilation album. I mean, I think it, it it becomes a very slippery slope, right? Like I think you could very, very quickly point to things like the Eagles uh, greatest hits album. That's one of the best selling albums of all time, or even the sound of music soundtrack and think Mm. like, you know, if if those things are, um, uh, you know, so beloved, should they be on this list somewhere? But, you know, I think very quickly we could say, no, it's, there's, those aren't real albums, and uh, and yet there was an era where compilation compilation albums were a big thing. You just got a, yep. a stack of uh, records, right? Uh, and there was a bunch of compilations in there that were loved compilations of, uh, of great artists, and uh, and provided listeners with entryways to those things uh, occasionally, and you know they served a purpose. And not just that, and something that I'm sure we've talked about, that it's really easy now to find a curated list or even make your own of the greatest hits. But there was a time when if you wanted all the best hits of your band, you would have to, you know, just be back and forth on the record player or the CD player or to have a greatest hits was was, I think, something that a lot of people really enjoyed because all their best hits were together. There was no other format where you could do that. I think we take that for granted now. You can just go open Spotify and click top tracks of any of your favorite artists, and it's there. Whether it's an official album compilation or not, someone's made a list. Many people have made a list. So we don't even think about that it was probably something that people waited for. I think, oh, I can't wait till they do a greatest hits of, you know, Boston. I can get all their hits on one album as opposed to, you know, a few really great songs on each album. Just, I don't know why I said boss. Just could be anything. Um, uh, so anyways, um, yeah, uh, for some people, they'll say compilation albums are a few of my favorite things. Well said. (laughs) Since you brought up Sound of Music. Yeah, and the other thing we should probably mention is that this is one of the albums that has virtually retained its place on the list. It was number 46. Not too Uh, many for whom that's the case. No, no. I guess Pet Sounds is is the only one that that didn't change at all in the four iterations of this list. But uh, this was 46 in the 2003 list, the Coffee Table book, and the 2012 list. And here it's dropped only two spots to number 48. So it yeah. is really, um, I think, next to Pet Sounds, which you mentioned, it, it has stayed this, uh, cons- the most consistent, one of the most consistent albums. Yeah. So uh, take yeah. that as, as what you will. But um, yeah, it, and and I'm okay with that because um, yeah. it's great to listen to. And we'll see what they do in 2029 when the next list comes no, out. Well, I, I hope it's that. I hope it's that long. Uh, otherwise, I'm going to lose my mind if we have to, to start over again in a few years. We need to try and make it through. <laughs> we move from here. Um, uh, we'll have our review with the aforementioned Bram Woolley coming up mm-hmm. right after this. But um, next week, we hope that you come back again. We'll have a new review for you this time. Coming in at number 49, we have uh, Aquemini by Outkast. And uh, a little outside of our comfort zone, but an album that has taken a phenomenal leap from 
the number 500 album on the 2012 list all the way up to number 49. So we hope you come back for that one after you listen to our review of Legend, the Best of Bob Marley. No credentials. Reviewing Rolling Stone 500. Greatest album. Welcome back, everyone, and thanks for joining us on the Sound Logic Podcast. Today, we're discussing album number 46 on Rolling Stone Magazine's Top 500 Greatest Albums of All Time list. This album is Legend, the best of Bob Marley and the Whalers. This should be a good one. And uh, just recently, I was connecting with a student at Penn State University, and somehow we got around to uh, talking about reggae music and Bob Marley in particular. And uh, in a sort of roundabout way, I said, hey, would you be interested in joining me on this podcast that I do? And uh, fortunately, uh, Bram said yes. So I'm really happy that we've got a guest with us tonight. Uh, Bram Woolley is a Penn State student. he and I share a number of things in common. We have some different kinds of passions for uh, interfaith connectivity, uh, social justice and how our world operates and um, sort of the weird mess of the American political system, I guess would be another sort of shared interest that we have too. Um, And I think we're both down for a good long rambling conversation too. So maybe we need to apologize, Bram, ahead of time if uh, if this episode goes way longer than normal. But um, <laughs> I'm really glad that you're here. Glad to have your perspective. Um, sometimes when we have a guest on, it's because uh, they grew up with the music that we are going to be talking about. Uh, Bram happens to be younger than either Mike or I, and none of us were alive when this music was initially recorded. So it'll be three people who um, have experienced this music uh, sort of after its release and talking about how we've experienced it in that kind of way. Um, the other thing we like to ask our, our guests when we have them on, Bram, is how you introduce yourself. Um, I'm not sure if you want to give that a, uh, a go. How, when, when people ask who you are, how do you describe yourself these days? So there's not that much going on here. Um, my name is Bram Woolley. I'm an international politics and geography major at Penn State, and reggae music has been a part of my musical exploration pretty much from the start, uh, from the very beginning, since I began listening to music as a, as a hobby, as a passion. Uh, reggae music has been there, and it's definitely still like the genre that I listen to the most. So Bob Marley is really near and dear to my heart, and I'm glad that I got to be here to you know, help you explore, explore one of his most controversial but also one of his most popular albums i exist <laughs> I, I, I go through life and i try not to cause uh more trouble than i i need to <laughs> i like that um, in i the, do that too in the corona yeah in the coronavirus <laughs> reality we all are just kind of existing right now here um <laughs> trying to make sense of what this new existence is so i think that's probably about all that any of us can say these days <laughs> and while i didn't grow up with Bob Marley um, as a contemporary. I, in some ways, I feel like I did, just because 
Um, I was introduced to Bob Marley like in my early teens, and immediately I latched on to his music. And it became sort of like as I progressed uh, politically and in my worldview in general, Bob Marley kind of followed me along that. And so, if you look at the music that I listen to, um, I have it scrabbled with Last FM. If you look at that, Bob Marley is like by far right up at the top. So, like reggae music oh, is awesome. pretty much at the core of my of my uh, music experience. Cool. Well, and I think like. Um... Like a couple of the artists that we've tackled so far, Marley's music has just uh, sort of seamlessly woven itself into so many aspects of our culture and society. Uh, I think really globally too, and um, it's it's background uh, to so many different things. And I think for that reason, most of us know Bob Marley's music in some form or another, um, whether we like him or not. It's around and. Uh, this is a this is a special artist, I think, for that reason. So it'll be fun tonight to to tackle some of that. Um, one way we usually start out these episodes is by talking about our early memories or early introductions. Um, would one of you like to dive in and say uh, where you remember first listening to Bob Marley's music or this uh, legend album in particular? I think the first time I remember hearing this album in entirety. Uh, ben was in your car when we were driving around a lot for work, when we used to pick sweet corn in the summers, when we were traveling uh, down to Tilsonburg in southern Ontario or down to Florida, from Florida up to Ohio, and driving around different road trips. Uh, that was an album. There was one summer for sure, Ben, where I think you just had it on a lot. And that was, but that was one that was in the, as Spotify would say, was in the heavy rotation through a lot of our listening and driving around. It was just part of the ether of the music we listened to. Not to yeah. mention a lot of the songs were already very familiar, but that opened up for me a greater understanding of Bob Marley's music and a greater appreciation just for how diverse the song. So yeah, I've, I've, known i don't actually have this album but i feel like it's so familiar i counted even though i've i've never pushed play on this album and listened to it start to finish but when i went through it there were only three songs i wasn't familiar with and even then i've probably heard them so that's how much this music has permeated but my first memories yeah. and probably my strongest memories are, are listening to this with you and some of our buddies in the car in the oldsmobile <laughs> that's excellent uh, so ben in saying that uh and bram i really want to get to you know why you love this so much because obviously you're the guest we asked but in saying that ben you've had this for a long time do you ben do you remember when you got it or how you came to love it and then kind of push it on to us yeah i have no memory of um purchasing this cd which makes me wonder if it was uh like 10 CDs for a penny Columbia house, uh, score at some point, oh. <laughs> um, back in, the, back in that era of mail order, uh, bulk CD buying. Um, I, boy, I, I definitely know that it was, um, uh, an album that was played sort of throughout the, the school year while I was at university. And so maybe it was something that I, um, fell in love with, I guess, in that, in that sense during that time of my life and, and thought that my collection needed to have it as well. Um, but yeah, some, somewhat, unfortunately, I don't have any memory of, of when I got it for the first time. Uh, but 
unlike so many of the albums that we've gone through so far, um, instead of listening on Spotify, I've actually dusted off my CD player and have been listening to this Whoa. on a compact disc recording, which is uh, <laughs> uh, feels a little old school, I guess, <laughs> given how most of the music I consume in my house is, is done these days. And actually, it works out kind of nicely because... Um, especially of late uh, frozen Two soundtrack has been uh, tying up our Spotify account and I get lots of shouts <laughs> if I try and switch, switch off of that. So I can put in a CD and it doesn't, uh, it doesn't anger the rest of our household when I do that. So um, That's funny. yeah, it's, it's been interesting. Uh, Bram, I'm curious um, when you dove into, to Bob Marley and uh, if it was this album in particular, or if, or if you're, introduction to his music has been more from specific albums rather than this compilation. Yeah. So similarly to Mike, my first uh, introduction to Bob Marley was also in the car. Um, (laughs) And it was while I was on a car trip with my dad and it just came on the radio on some, you know, top hits uh, station. And I immediately, I latched on, I think it was one love it. No, it definitely, it was one love. And I I just (laughs) latched onto the song and the the lyrics, which were sort of um, both abstract and symbolic and kind of mysterious, but then also very direct. And there was this really interesting interplay, I thought, between the lyrics and then the melody. Uh, and just generally, like, I, I, I had never been much of a music fan before. I didn't really consume music as a habit. But after I got into Bob Marley, after I discovered that he was an artist, uh, you know, and discovered some of his albums, that's when I really started to dive more into music. So uh, reggae music was there right at the start for me. Oh, awesome. That's cool. And also, well, the other thing that I really liked about uh, Bob Marley is I'm kind of a religious studies nerd, and I I became really fascinated by Rastafarianism and just Mm -hmm. the sort of cultural, uh, the cultural history of Rastafarianism and how it developed in uh, Jamaica and the Caribbean and how it was uh, sort of turned by, by Marley and other reggae artists into uh, like a cultural commodity that could be, could be exported and could bring some of that message to the wider world. So I would definitely say that um, it, was, it was a combination of, of not just the, the melodies and the, and the music itself, but also kind of like the deeper uh, cultural history behind it. Sounds a little bit like a um, Wikipedia rabbit trail there. Like you, you sort of get a taste of something and realize you can go deeper and uh, other interests then sort of <laughs> help feed that and you end off going on these different rabbit trails. I, I actually know very little about Rastafarian, which is uh, terrible for someone who prides themselves in um, interfaith ecumenical kinds of work. <laughs> and so uh, hopefully we can revisit that um, here later on in the episode as it, uh, as it is more relevant. So um, yeah, you, even though you bring less years of lived life, you may have more uh, depth of, of wisdom to offer here tonight, Bram, than, than Mike and I do. <laughs> Details time. Sounds good. Details. 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 So this album was originally released in May of 1984. So that would be three years after Bob Marley's passing. 
It's also been re-released in 2002, which was a deluxe CD, and remixed in 2013, and then released again in 2014 for 30th anniversary. And we often see that, as many of these albums, they chart again, or they chart well, or their sales go up whenever there's a re-release, which is obvious, but but it it increases kind of the popularity and the sales. Um, this most of the songs and this gets challenging with you know songwriting and personnel when you have a greatest hits a compilation album like this but most of the songs were written by bob marley with some others uh most notably one uh one of the more popular songs no woman no cry uh written by vincent ford but everything else written by Bob Marley. I'm going to talk about the original release when we talk about chart position. It was number five in the U.S., number 23 in Canada, uh, and number one in the U.K., New Zealand, the Netherlands. Uh, it did very well. And as of January of this year, we're in 2020 right now, it has spent a total of 609 non-consecutive weeks on the Billboard 200 album chart that's the second longest Amazing. run in history uh second only to an album we just talked about that's pink floyd's dark side of the moon which is up over 900 uh, and i want to note that it is still charting right now it is on the charts and is still charting um, sales are estimated at over 15 million copies in the u.s and a total of 28 million copies globally very popular and successful album so just a few historical notes this is a compilation album from seven of his previous albums we might get into some of those individual albums as we talk a little more uh, this was released as we mentioned just a few years after his death and the band at least as the whalers or obviously bob marley and the whalers uh disbanded after his death in 81 and as we talked about the album, this still sells around three to 5,000 copies per week to this day. So it's continually <laughs> successful and still still selling. Kind of amazing. It is. It, yeah, it's incredible. In an era where we don't really buy albums. <laughs> right. Yeah. That might include digital downloads, and I don't know if it does, but – yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, if you think of that, every week, uh, 5,000, 3,000, 5,000 copies sold. Are there even enough consumers out there to, to be listening to all of those those albums? Yeah, right. <laughs> that, adds, that adds up quickly. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. It does. It's just wild. Uh, one thing we like to talk about is the album cover. Uh, and this is, uh, I think, it's a beautiful photograph uh, pretty close up on Bob Marley's face. He's glancing off to the side, uh, kind of gold or tan lettering legend, the best of Bob Marley and the Whalers. Um, I'll note that, and the Whalers is very small font compared to where it says <laughs> Bob Marley, um, which I guess, you know, it, it's a, it's not a tribute album. It may be a memorial album since it was so, you know, released so close to his passing. Um, and he has his kind of has his hand resting on his chin just below his mouth. You can see a, he has a, a ring on his finger. Um, I think it's just a beautiful shot. And I really like the lighting. Uh, it looks like it might have been touched up a little bit, but the lighting's coming from uh, over his shoulder 
on his left side. Um, I think he looks uh, very pensive, thoughtful, almost got a regal look to him. He looks to be glowing a little bit, but uh, this, when I think of Bob Marley as an image, I kind of think of this picture because I think it's one you just see a lot because this album has been circulating and popular for so long. So there's not a, a whole lot for me to say about the cover, but I do like it. I, I think it is interesting that the uh, sort of trademark um, green, red, yellow color scheme is not part of this. And now maybe it's because it's trying to sort of highlight a compilation album of his career with a sort of more gold font. But um, so much of his identity is tied up in that, uh, that tri-colored uh, Caribbean um uh, reggae stuff, you know, ev- everything from posters to t-shirts to banners, uh, you can still buy with his face on it. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar brand, there's kind of a, a, s- a strange little hole in the wall t-shirt place there on Calder way around the corner from oh, yes, Webster's cafe I've here in town. At, at times, but I haven't yet. <laughs> I'm sure yeah. they've got I, I keep, a Marley a Marley poster flag in the, in the window. It's one of those spaces that I'm sure smell, uh, has a sort of incense aroma smell as you walk by and, uh, possibly some other, uh, other, some other, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Smoking paraphernalia (laughs) stuff there too. Um, yeah, but, but you know, that like his image, I think is so synonymous with that color scheme that I'm a bit surprised that blue is the one sort of accent color that's kind of popping out here. You're right, Mike. It is a very iconic image of him and one that I quickly think of when I think about him. Um, but I'm a little surprised that they went uh, with a more subdued color palette than, than what I think of when I think of Marley. Your observation there uh, brings up one of the main criticisms of the legend album, which is that some people have stated that it takes all of the most sort of sanitized or all the softest of the Bob Marley songs, as far as social messaging. And it, uh, it just highlights those as opposed to some of the ones that are more radical or revolutionary. like the oh. And so the, the red gold green uh, color scheme is tied really closely to his Rastafarian faith, which in turn was also tied very closely some of his more his more radical lyrics so i wonder if there's some connection there um but i do i also agree though that like the gold color scheme that is also a plausible reason why they went with this uh and of course like gold and blue are complementary colors so it makes sense from an artistic perspective um but other than that i think it does it almost has a painterly quality to it um like the the painterly quality kind of comes from the the soft resolution of the photo and then maybe a little bit yeah. of that airbrushing, but I think it's good. I think it's a nice look. It's a really good point, Bram, about uh, softening it and, and kind of uh, whitewashing. And we've talked about that on a few different albums. I'm thinking back to, when we talked about James Brown live at the Apollo and some of the artwork used there was again, kind of, kind of whitewashing and taking away from what it was really about. And these compilation albums can be interesting. Most of them are put together by the labels, by a massive corporation. It might not have anything to do with the intent of uh, Bob Marley or anybody in the Whalers and how they wanted their music portrayed or Bob Marley to be memorialized in this way. I, I think that's a really good point. I'm, 
as we talk about some of the songs in this album and maybe Bram later on, we talk about some of the other songs, uh, which I don't mind doing. Um, I would love to expand on that theme a little bit, but that's a, that's a really great observation. Especially since it is after his passing. Um, right. You know, uh, there, there's no artist input into this image. Um, and, and I don't know, maybe that multicolored spectrum does connect more with uh, the sort of Rastafarian and underground subculture than, like you said, Bram, a more palatable kind of uh, uh, softer tones that uh, any kid driving uh, an Oldsmobile to the sweet corn field can pick up and feel good about. <laughs> yeah, the uh, argument yeah. was basically that the the record label was trying to appeal to sort of like white suburbia, which as sure. as a whole, you know, as you can see from, you know, marketing and other areas as far as music, like it tends to generally not pick up albums or music that have that have like very, you know, radical messages or even you know, very multicultural messages. So they, I feel like in one sense, they might've been trying to play that down by not, you know, featuring the tricolor on the album cover. Possibly, but it's also possible that they were just <laughs> trying to go for the, the gold and the blue, the complementary colors. Yeah. There's, there's a whole paragraph on this, on, on the, the Wikipedia entry for this album. Um, I want to read this quickly because I think it, it'll help our understanding of it. Despite its generally positive reception, Legend has been criticized for being a deliberately inoffensive selection of Marley's less political music, shorn of any radicalism that might damage sales. In 2014, in the Phoenix New Times, uh, David Akomatso wrote, Dave Robinson, who constructed the tracklist for Legend, said that the tracklist for Legend deliberately was designed to appeal to white audiences. Island Records had viewed Marley as a political revolutionary, and Robinson saw this perspective as damaging to Marley's bottom line, so he constructed a greatest hits album that showed just one face of the Marley prism, the side he deemed most sellable to the suburbs. If you're looking for mass market appeal to secular progressive America, you don't include songs that invoke collective guilt over the slave trade, nor do you address the inconvenient truth that the bucolic Jamaican lifestyle of reggae, sandy beaches, and marijuana embraced by millions of college freshmen exists only because of the brutal slave trade. The songs on Legend offer just a brief glimpse into his music. The definitive album of the most important reggae singer of all time is a hodgepodge collection of love songs, feel-good sentiment, and mere hints of the fiery activist whose politics drew bullets in the 70s. Vivian Goldman wrote in 2015, when he does get played on the radio now, it's the mellow songs, not the angry songs that get heard. The ones that have been compiled on albums such as Legends. So that's a, that's a whole... Uh, I mean, we haven't started talking about it and how much we love it all, but that's a whole other side of it. So this is something that I really... I experience a lot. As someone who personally considers himself to be... Uh, primarily a fan of reggae music like that's definitely the the genre that i listen to the most um it bothers me when like i see in popular culture and contemporary culture reggae depicted as kind of like the music of like mellow stoners you know which of course there is like there's a big wing wing of it that is uh really like mellow stoner music you know especially like the kind of cali rock wing where it blends with rock music right. but i i feel like people stereotype the music and it and they 
kind of take off of they, they take its edge off, which is something that uh, definitely was not what Bob Marley intended. Um, and I'm sure that's just natural because, you know, as a whole, people don't yeah. gravitate towards very political music. But I, I feel like there's a real there's a real kind of prophetic voice to Bob Marley that doesn't get doesn't get enough publicity. And I really wish that it did because he, he becomes stereotyped as just like this mellow stoner when really he was much more. Wow. I feel like in the last five minutes, my approach to this album has totally changed. <laughs> I also uh, don't is... want to turn this into like, Oh, it's a big conspiracy theory because I don't think it's a big conspiracy theory. I think it's just like people in general, you know, don't, go towards music that's going to confront them constantly. And I'm not like yep. even saying that's a criticism. It's just like, you know, pe- no, different it's people. Go towards, yeah. It's like, there's, there's a mainstream music. There's a certain form that music that appeals to the mainstream tends to take. And then music that doesn't fit into that will obviously get less traction and less publicity. But like, um, I do think that over time, Bob Marley's legacy has become right. somewhat, at least in like the very general populace, it's become more, stereotyped as just like you know like reggae music and rastafarianism is just all about like you know having a good time and like relaxing in the sun when really it's a lot more about like justice and um and really calling out people and things that are are doing wrong i think there were two recent um experiences i had where i got a different side of bob marley than the softer one painted on this album um one is that uh, the fantastic podcast Disgraceland that kind of takes a look at the hidden side and sometimes seedy side of uh, rock music and pop music has a great episode on the violence around uh, Bob Marley's career. Um, you know, for for someone who is often oh, yes, he got shot. He, yeah, he he is often painted in such a, a peaceful light, but. Um, the the sort of systems mover that he was often ended up getting involved um, sometimes peripherally, but sometimes a bit more actively in trying to push back at systemic sort of tensions with, with violence and, and violence seemed to follow him partially because he was such a revolutionary um, person. And uh, that was a part that I think the whitewashed version of Marley that I grew up with uh, never really um, showcased. The other piece that was another recent um, endeavor for me was just recently I picked up a graphic novel from our local library called um, Wake Up and Live, The Life of Bob Marley, in which it looks at some of the socioeconomic tensions of Jamaica that he was trying to um, uh, navigate and and again brought in some of the uh, cultural oppression and violence that was happening on the island at that time. Um, I, I remember like, I, I can't remember now if it was in Ontario or if it was while I was at college in Virginia, but One Love was um, sort of co-opted by Jamaica's tourism board. Yeah, me too. Uh, Instead of uh, let's get together and feel all right, it was come to Jamaica and feel all right. And and I think you just sort yeah, of this, so, uh, I, I so think so what we've done as a society is painted this wonderful, like s- sunny picture of what Bob Marley and Jamaica is, um, completely overlooking 
the the darker rebellion that took place there while he's writing this music um and as i skim through the track list like aside from i shot the sheriff um these are all songs that I'd be perfectly happy putting on a children's album for my kid. <laughs> Maybe easy skanking talking about lighting up his spliff is, like that. is a little bit. Edgy, but, but that's not, again, that's not the political revolutionary stuff that you're talking about, Bram, either. It's so um, ingrained into his persona, though, that some of it still comes through in the lyrics, like especially in One Love. There's a lot of hidden yeah. uh, like social messaging and a lot of hidden revolutionary messaging that you don't get unless you're paying attention or you're looking for it um but the other thing too is i mean whitewashing implies that they're turning bob marley into something that he wasn't when really i think it's more like they're taking they took a facet of bob marley and expanded it and pushed the other facets to the side because i mean it's still a part of his music this this sort of uh like taking a mellow approach to life but it's not just like oh, I'm taking a mellow approach to life and I'm chill, like possibly because, you know, I'm stoned. It's like I'm taking a mellow approach to life despite the fact that I'm facing this systemic oppression, despite the fact that I'm facing violence every day. It's like almost an act of protest, like this, uh, like taking taking a moment and taking a breath is something that is so much more difficult for for people, like, for example, in Trenchtown, like, Bob Marley talks about, which is a, is a part of Kingston, Jamaica, like right. to, yeah. to take a breath there to relax is almost a form of, of rebellion. Being chilled out is still part of his persona, but there's a, there's even political depth of that too. Like the act of being relaxed in the face of all this adversity is a form of rebellion. I love it. I don't know. Maybe that's a wrap. Maybe we just shut the episode down right now and say, <laughs> go sort out Bob Marley on your own. <laughs> my, my disjointed rantings, you know, at, at nine o'clock at night. That's <laughs> this episode will be a, a wow. holy Armageddon. Not in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like that. That's some good general feelings and thoughts on the album and i want to talk about although i feel kind of guilty to talk about some of these tracks because they are all i mean it's not something to feel they're all his songs it's just like they're taken it's there's nothing wrong with the songs there's nothing even really wrong with the fact that there is a, a sanitized version of it it's just the fact that that's like the only version most people hear. Right. So like the songs themselves, this is still like the message Bob Marley's trying to get across. It, and you know, you're right. And, and I shouldn't feel bad for that, but this is, it is important to note. This is one perspective. This is one side of his music. And I, I will say, and Ben echo uh, what you said earlier, you said somebody kind of opened your eyes to the other side of Marley and the, the kind of fiery, fiery activist. I'm still. I'm really not. Ex, haven't been exposed to that. I, now I really want to start to listen to some of the individual albums, which I haven't done, and hear that because I am familiar with this perspective of Marley that's represented on this album, and I don't know the other side of it. So uh, that's where I'm coming from. Um, which is another great thing about Ben about doing this project that we've got to listen to so much music yeah. and talk to people like you, Bram, who can 
shed light on different aspects of these wonderful artists and, and not just their musical lives, but their personal and political lives too. So that's, uh, that's uh, a bonus for sure. On the original 1984 release was, uh, of course, that would have been on, I wonder was it released in 84. So it might've been on vinyl and cassette, but I don't think on CD at that time, uh, 84 might've been just a little early for that. So a side one was, is this love? No woman, no cry. Could you be loved? Three little birds. Buffalo Soldier. Get up, stand up. Stand up. Stand up for your right. Get up, stand up. Stand up for your right. Stir it up. And on the 2002 Deluxe Edition, that's where they add uh, Easy Skanking as a bonus track. And then side two is uh, One Love, People Get Ready. I Shot the Sheriff. Waiting in vain. Redemption song. Satisfy my soul. Exodus. Again, the bonus track at the end of the album on the 2002 release is Punky Reggae Party. First of all, I want to say before we start, uh, that's stacked. <laughs> that, is a, that is a stacked list of hits. 
just want to get that out there. <laughs> it really is. And uh, I do have a hard time figuring out if the familiarity is simply because I've had this CD in my collection for so long or if it's songs that I, I knew the very instant I pressed play. Um, but yeah, it, it really does play um, like one sort of uh, familiar friend after another. Um, it's been it's been probably a few months, uh, maybe more than that. It might have been, even been a year since I've put Bob Marley on, and and so arriving at this album on this list was a great excuse to dust it off again. Uh, and it didn't feel like much time had passed at all. You know, it just feels like you know slipping on a comfortable article of clothing or something very familiar, going through this track list um, uh, when I had it on. Uh, it's also an interesting bounce uh, between eras of his career and, and with some live yeah. music mixed in there too. It, it 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 doesn't always feel as cohesive as some greatest hits albums do, but but it really has a lot of wonderful tracks. Yeah, they're definitely all great songs. My one sort of complaint would be that as a compilation album they do all have similar sounds which again i mean i want harping back to this but i do think like they were going for a specific facet of bob marley and so they got it but that also means that like the songs tend to have a, the same feel which is i don't want to categorize all of them because it's a lot of songs but a lot of them don't seem to have as much of a heavy percussion as some of his other tracks and i definitely pick up on that like if i try and listen to this all the way through by halfway through i'm kind of drifting off just because a lot of them have a similar rhythm and don't have a lot of variation so that's something that i definitely pick up on but i mean overall they're all great hits and so these are all songs that i listen to on their own or in a like larger mixtape it's just all together they tend to kind of blend into one another is something i've found i think yeah I yeah, and actually, that too. I think if I'm not in the right Marley mood, I I want to uh, after after five or six familiar songs, I'm ready to move on to something else. And actually, that experience has happened <laughs> in the car a time or two as well, where I've put it on, and uh, either my spouse or one of the kids will be like, "All right, I think I've had enough. Let's do something else." You know, five or six <laughs> or seven tracks in. Uh, um, yeah, because it's all the ones that you hear all the time on the radio right. if there's a radio station that's playing older hits these will these are all the ones that will always come up and you don't get you know any of the older ones or any of the more niche ones um which again you know it's great to have this as a as an entire collection just because like these are some of the the most iconic marley pieces but it would be nice to see a few more of the pieces that show some of the variation in his style or in his work or his lyrics yeah I do want to comment that even though I felt the familiarity and I was thinking about that, when I listened very intently through this album, I also noticed there is some good diversity in these songs. And although the structure of a lot of them is the same, and I know that this is just a very small snippet of his his whole catalog and there's much more diversity in the rest of his catalog, but there's a lot of great diversity. And I noticed that, um, Many of the other musicians, and I'm not going to get into all of them because there's a lot of different musicians, but uh, number one, they're really, really good. And there's a lot of 
very melodic lines from the backing instruments. You hear melodic lines in the bass, in the keyboard, even in the guitar as uh, there's Bob is singing a prominent melody. There might be a counter melody on, on a guitar or on a piano um, and the percussion, the drums, you know, that syncopated uh, kind of rim shot. Uh, you know, there there is good diversity and a great blend of song and the the progressions too the chord progressions a lot of them there will be you know just a standard four chord progression but then they'll throw in a little a bridge between them uh going maybe from a a verse to a chorus where there'll be like a a three or four chord walk up to the next section It's, it's it's very well done it's good music I mean, he's a, I mean, like the, the album says, he's a legend. And I, I see in my notes, I wrote this down, but because I knew I was going to kind of complain more than I should about this, uh, just because I know I, I love Bob Marley so much that, you know, I'm going to be critical of things. But I mean, it's Bob Marley, so, you know, no matter what it is, it's going to be good. And uh, like his artistry is just amazing, and, and the other whalers too. Like I, I hate to kind of uh, push the other whalers to the side, but they were definitely an integral part of, of the music that he made. Oh yeah, and that and that's a good point. Um, I was really picking up on on the keyboard and piano and organ work. Uh, and one thing that I thought about, and you might know more about this, Bram. Uh, I was surprised when I listened intently at the amount of kind of innovation and experimentation. I was hearing a lot of really interesting sounds, especially from the keys and the keyboards. Uh, I don't want to say synthesizer because I don't know exactly what they were using, but a lot of it was felt very... Um, I, don't, I don't know if experimental is the right word, but very innovative and almost edgy. Certainly for... I mean, a, a lot of this music is from the 70s. But for if we think of the early '70s, even in the late '60s when they were making music, uh, it was very—it's—it it sounds different. It sounds different than a lot of what we would have heard. And I'm not saying just because it's reggae, but even just the sounds they were using. There's, there's a lot of different things happening. Definitely. Um, so I'm not the best person to go to as far as like. Uh, musical theory or or the history of of the the music before bob marley showed up on the scene but definitely i think bob marley was the first person to really synthesize some of the earlier uh streams within reggae music with some of the things that he i I think i remember hearing well no definitely he as he was growing up he had a radio and so he'd listen to all this music uh, like being played from the southern United States especially so he's picking up a lot of the things that were happening as far as like rock music and blues and mm-hmm. so he was synthesizing that with uh, some of the things he was hearing in Jamaica as far as like early uh, roots reggae so he was he was one of the first people who really combined some of like the more American sounds with Jamaican sounds and made something that was uh, really popular in the United States as well hmm yeah, this uh, again. My reggae history is pro- is not great, but this group really put it on the map. Uh, certainly in in America, this made it. This made reggae uh, popular. This it, yes, uh, not not in Jamaica, but in but in America, this made it. 
I don't want to say more appealing, but I think maybe that's that that is true uh, because he uh, that's a really good point. He took that and kind of blended some of that blues. I hear a lot of blues, especially the guitar, a lot of blues influence. The structure of a lot of the songs are are it's just a it's just a, a lot of them are a, a twelve bar blues jam. Uh, with that different feel and instrumentation uh, that reggae brings. So, yeah, I could, I could see that. The other thing too, is there's a lot more going on than you hear in earlier roots, reggae music, Hmm. even, uh, even early Bob Marley. If you compare uh, like the really early Bob Marley recordings to some of the later ones, you can tell that um, on the early ones, it's mostly just Marley singing. And then there's some drums in the background and there's maybe an occasional chorus. Um, but then, like in his later work, as he as he developed, you know, starting from like kind of his mid career onwards, you really hear a lot more of this. It's just a it's it's a team it's a team project, and it's a much larger team than what he had before. So there's a lot more going on in the background. There's a lot more of like a harmonious sound, and it, I, I'm not trying to say that his earlier work isn't good because I actually tend to listen to a lot of that more than his later work but i would say that his his later work had um more people uh just more more sounds happening all at once interesting cool do you have like a line in the sand where that sound change occurs as far as his studio albums go i think yes or i know like I can definitely, it's definitely gradual, like the okay. first uh, album, The Wailing Wailers, that one is definitely his early sound. If you continue, like Soul Rebels, Soul Revolution, those all tend to have that earlier sound where it's a lot more uh, parsed back and it's it's more of just his vocals. Um, there's one particular album, if you want to hear his early sound, Talking Blues, that's what it is. Talking Blues? It's called Talking Blues, Yes. I'm pretty sure it's a compilation that they put together from like early recordings that they found. Um, okay. It's got, yeah, live studio recordings from 1973 and 1975. Okay, so that's actually farther along in its career yeah, that's, than I thought. That's like mid career, um, right? Yeah, with interview segments. Okay, so this definitely this gives a feel for some some of his work early on, though I think because it's a lot of kind of this parsed back sound where he just had a few of the core members and then it was him on on vocals of course uh and there's some original pieces too such as you can't blame the youth which is actually you can't blame the youth is actually sung by peter tosh which is cool because um the whalers were used as kind of a springboard for a lot of other reggae artists right uh or a a bunch of other reggae artists that we know now as independent names got their start as as members of the whalers and then you can trace them it's kind of like a big family tree with the with the whalers as being like the the trunk you know <laughs> and then it branches off farther and farther that's cool talk we can talk about some individual songs bram i know you you're a big marley fan and you sounds like you're familiar with a lot of his catalog from from this particular selection do you have any ones that when you listen to it, they really just speak to you? Or do you have any favorites here? What what would you like to, uh, what songs would you point out to us here? Well, I think One Love is always great. I mean, obviously that's the, that's almost the most 
stereotypical Marley song. Yeah, it's got to be up um, there. Yeah, it's it's the one that people think of if they don't think of maybe like Is This Love. Um, but I really love that one because it actually, as far as this album goes, it, go, it gives a pretty good balance of the sort of uh, Bob Marley as chilled out uh, Jamaican Rastafarian stoner, you know, that they the, the, the image that they're trying to put forward. But then it also poking through comes some of the social messages and some of like the the I would say like the Rastafarian almost like the Rastafarian theological imagery that you don't really get um, in a lot of the other pieces. So definitely One Love is up there. Hmm. And also I personally really like the melody in Punky Reggae Party. <laughs> that's Yeah, that's, that's a cool just song. My, yeah, there's not a yeah. lot of there's not a a lot to the lyrics, but the the melody is definitely unique and I think it has a little bit more of that kind of punchy uh, percussion line that I don't really get from a lot of the other pieces here, so I, I appreciate that. What about you, Mike? Where does your mind go when you think about favorite tracks here? That's tough. I mean, I... Oh. Man, you're putting me on the spot. Well, I guess I should have been... I should have <laughs> known that question was going to come. In general... We've got I notes say, for this. <laughs> I know, I know. In, in general... <laughs> In general, every song here puts a smile on my face. Uh, It just, I can't help but feel happy when I listen to this collection of songs. Um, I like the ones that are a little on the outside. Like, I really like Could You Be Loved. Um, There's some Mm -hmm. great uh, counter melodies there. Uh, There's a really kind of uh, grimy, crunchy uh, uh, keyboard sound on that uh, it's like a lot of almost distortion on it which is really cool um, and I also remember hearing uh, a while ago there was a video of a bunch of artists from Israel who did like this big kind of uh, acapella compilation thing of this song which was really cool um, uh, so I really like that one um Three Little Birds is a special song. Uh, my wife actually has a, a tattoo on her back inspired by this song. Um, and it's just kind of that refrain, uh, don't worry about a thing, is kind of a bit of a mantra around here just to to relax, don't be anxious, trust each other. Um, so that's kind of, kind of a special song just in our house. And you'll see several pieces of artwork around the house that have three birds on it so that's kind of okay it's kind of just a special thing for us as a family and i know it's significant to uh to my wife so that's one that kind of just means a little something extra when i hear it um i like so many other ones it's hard to it's hard to hear i shot the sheriff without thinking about the eric clapton version um, which is also very oh, yeah. popular. Um, I I think I prefer the Marley version, although the Clapton version is good and very popular. Um, I like the feel on the on the original. Um, and as I said before, the mu- the musicianship here is fantastic. The you know the songwriting and of course Bob Marley as the frontman, the lead is is wonderful. But but the great musicians the. The percussion, the bass. I, oh, I love um, 
uh, I, I shot the sheriff the baseline, just just bouncing, walking all over the place. Um, and the bass throughout these songs is just really, and I think that's indicative of a lot of this style of reggae, with uh, a lot of walking bass, which, as we mentioned before, taking from uh, a lot of blues influence here. And the bass, I think, although played in a different feel, reflects that as well. So um, those those are a few thoughts, but man, these songs are so good. They really are. Kudos, I guess, to the guy who um, whitewashed it enough for the <laughs> white person's palate. Well, yeah. but <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. It, it is comfortable. and um, it's I, mean, I, I would think... rather hear more Bob Marley in the world than less. Yeah, so. for sure. That's Absolutely. Right. Well, and I think there's a geographic um, bridge building nature to this music, too. Like, I, so I've I've done a little bit of traveling in my life. I've heard Bob Marley coming out of crackling uh, cab driver speakers in South Africa. I've heard it coming out of, um, uh, you know, the West Bank in Israel, Palestine. I've, I maybe one of the strangest occurrences um, during our time living out West, we hiked down into the Grand Canyon and um, we got down to the bottom sort of, uh, late morning and there were a couple of uh, kids getting uh, just kind of like lounging around waiting for school to start and uh, they were in the back of uh, uh, someone's like pickup truck or something and were just cranking Marley and these were all like um, indigenous uh, Native American people who live on the Havasu uh, reservation there who were were just like just grooving out to Marley early in the morning before (laughs) before school began and I think I don't know there's something just so timeless and um, uh, cross-cultural about this music Uh, funny that this kind of unique reggae sound from a small island in the Caribbean has this power to just be global but um, but it's incredibly powerful and I think I think you're referencing Mike these songs it's hard to pick a favorite because they all just have that that same kind of spellbinding uh, way to them. Um, uh, yeah, I, I also really like Three Little Birds and two of our favorite um, children's artists uh, have covered that song. Uh, I, I sort of half jokingly mentioned that these songs could go on a kid's album, but. Oh, Rafi, right? Sort of the, uh, does Rafi also do it? Because that was not one of the ones oh, in my head. One is a, one is Elizabeth Mitchell. It's a very chill kind of almost lullaby rendition. And then um, the other is Renee and Jeremy. Um, and they're they're kind of also a, a bit more laid back of a kind of children's artist. And uh, both renditions are kind of worth, worth checking out if you're a parent looking for some music that's less cringeworthy for uh, playing with your kids. Um and uh, so that song has been great for me. It's a song that we have sung to our kids as they've uh, as they've grown over. There's uh, there's lots of different ways that Marley's music gets thrown into cultural references, but uh, <laughs> there's a an episode of The Office where. Uh, uh, Aaron, the sort of not super bright office receptionist. Uh, Last week, Andy set sail for the Bahamas to sell his family's boat, and he took his brother, but not me. I was kind of sad at first, but then I remembered that Bob Marley song. No woman, no cry. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> and uh, that that makes me laugh every time. Jeez. And uh, that song uh, obviously has nothing to do with that either. Um, so, but uh, but that's a great one too. Uh, and then finally, I guess um, the the closing track, at least on the original um, album, or maybe it was on all of them, uh, jamming. Uh, I, I think if you just insert Ben in front of there, and, and it's Ben jamming, then then it can just become my theme song for every kind of moment in life that I'm going through. <laughs> just be playing in the background. So. I like that. Yeah, yeah. I think. Um... Even though Bob Marley is as popular as he is, and I know that, every time I hear Bob Marley out of context, just on the street, or, you know, in a in a movie, like a movie reference, it always just kind of warms my heart, and I get really excited. And then, you know, <laughs> yeah. even, even though I know that, you know, he's a, a huge, hugely popular artist just about everywhere, but... I mean, I just feel such a connection to his music that that anytime I hear it, my ears kind of perk up. Yeah. And it, he really is. He does permeate the culture everywhere. I was in oh, yeah. Dublin, I think, two years ago, and yeah, there was a there was a street musician who was playing Bob Marley, and it was like, you know, you can't get much different climates than Dublin and and you know Kingston, Jamaica, but like you know, <laughs> there you are, listening to some reggae music. <laughs> I guess the one thing that I thought about today for the for the first time in a little while at least is uh, the the term skanking which I I think in my naive um, uh, sheltered Christian upbringing when when we started getting into Christian punk and ska I assumed that skanking was a dance term specifically for ska music but uh, today I googled skanking and it's actually a dance that's in the genres uh ska ska punk hardcore punk reggae drum and bass and other music scenes so um it it does originate in the uh 50s 60s in jamaican dance halls and so it's tied to the island culture there but um but yeah it's sort of gone beyond that that sound uh i i also don't think i fully comprehended the relationship between reggae and ska until much later in life uh that those two sort of genres sort of grow out of each other and um yeah so the the kid listening to the supertones in high school was uh totally naive to the connection between that sound of music and and something like (laughs) bob marley (laughs) again about cultural and social uh permeation and appropriation (laughs) well yeah that too (laughs) (laughs) what we like to do Every time we talk about an album, we have a SoundLogic playlist on Spotify, and we like to pick a couple songs from each album to put on that playlist. So, Bram, if you could pick one or two songs from this album to put on that playlist, what what would you want to represent this album? Ooh, this is hard. Um, And we won't we won't judge you on your choice. So, uh, (laughs) you can. I mean, it's it's so it's so. I mean, again, it is kind of a basic Bob Marley song, but at the same time, I really do feel that One Love strikes a good balance between both sides of Bob Marley. And so I think for that reason, One Love should definitely be on that playlist. 
and has a very good not only not only in lyrics and in meaning but i feel like also uh musically it strikes a good balance between some of like his punchier pieces and then also some of his his smoother pieces so there's like a real there's a real balance and a real medley to it that i think would would make it a good addition that's a great choice do you want to give us one more Ooh, uh I feel like this should be a team effort. I don't want to monopolize, <laughs> monopolize the choices here. And also, you know, I I, te- I have one perspective on Bob Marley, and you both have other, another perspective. So I'd like to get your input as well. I've, I'm looking over the list, and I I I think that's a great choice. I don't know how. I I think the baseline on "Stir It Up" just is like musical brilliance, just for that baseline alone. I don't know what it is about about that song. Uh, I, I don't know. It's kind of simple. It's a walking bass, but uh, I don't know. That that song to me is a whole other level of, of laid back genius. <laughs> yeah. You know what? That's a really good choice. And that, that just has that kind of atmospheric feel to it that's really chill. Um, just draws you in. Yeah. Okay. Good choice. Let's do that and yeah. move on before okay. we before before we uh, start to question question our choices. <laughs> All right, they're both there, and just to throw this in, um, I don't know if you want to put this on, but there's actually an ambient album of Bob Marley where people uh, did covers of Bob Marley music, but they're like uh, they're ambient music producers. Oh boy! So oh it's, my it's goodness. really interesting. It's like you take you take the chilled out and you amplify that by a hundred. It, it's pretty good though, especially for uh, studying or if you're reading a book. Like it's it's nice to have in the background. Do you know what that's called? Dreams of Freedom. Oh. Ambient translations of Bob Marley in dub. It's a great title. It's really good. Yeah. So I, I have one question, and I mean we're we're over an hour in, which is which is fine, um, and I hope this doesn't take us down a, a crazy rabbit hole. But uh, this is often uh, music that you smoke up to, and that's not you know that's not the only thing about this music and and that's not fair uh however it is you know often associated with that culture um and there are some very explicit references to you know we just talked we talked about easy skanking excuse me light, light my spliff um bram would you want to comment on that and do you feel that that uh that that's totally appropriate and and that uh, reflects some some of that culture that Bob was in, or do you think that it, it's used inappropriately there? What's what's your take on that? Well, it's kind of, it, it's an interesting case again where they take one facet and then they they amplify it because, in a way, um, like obviously cannabis uses a big part of of Rastafarianism. However, um, Rastafarians are actually very in their own way. I, as, as somebody who considers himself like very much a straight edge in almost all respects, especially with regards to substance use, like I can almost see um, some some kindred spirit with with Rastafarians because while they do use cannabis a lot, they have very strict rules as to what they're allowed to consume and uh, like how they're allowed to behave. 
So um, I do think that, again, it's sort of taking certain traditions of Rastafarianism and it's putting it into um, sort of the lens of like of, of Western culture where it's like, oh, look, drugs. Um, right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's I mean, it's definitely part of it and that they make references to it and it's part of sort of the counterculture image and i wouldn't in any way want to you know throw that to one side or to say that that's wrong because i don't think it's wrong it's one of the reasons i like listening to the music um but it's definitely i think somewhat taken out of context yeah I, like, I it's, like not, that. it's not it's not all about hedonism and you know no. just having a good time like the the sort of the sort of chilled out atmosphere, the sort of behaviors that uh, they're describing, you have to put within the context of their belief system, which is Rastafarianism and which has its own certain strictures and uh, and moral codes. And, and just for those listening, and we haven't really talked about this, uh, Rastafarianism, I don't know a ton about it, but I, it's... It, is it a branch of Christianity uh, with some can you describe it uh, briefly so, Graham for us <laughs> so Rastafarianism is an Abrahamic religion which has a lot of ties to the back to Africa movement from the early 20th century and it ties together a lot of different elements from Christianity and Judaism and a lot of traditional um, African beliefs and African diasporic beliefs into one really interesting entity that isn't it's really unique and I can't describe it in just one sentence, but it's got a lot of layers to it. And if you're interested at all in religious studies or cultural studies, I'd recommend you go look into it more because there's just so much depth to it. And there's so much, um, there's so much more to this music, to Bob Marley's music than just, you know, like being a, a chilled out guy, you know, sitting on a beach in Jamaica, which is definitely not, not all he was. Exactly. Yeah. We should do another episode just about that. <laughs> you, you know, we mentioned Rastafarianism so often. I figure, well, we better we better explain what it is because it is a huge part of of the the lyrical content of his music, and from his yeah. perspective, where he's coming from, in a, in a lot of it, and some of it is you know more political and has to do with the political context of Jamaica outside of the religious belief but i think it's really important that we know about that that's one of the beautiful things again about uh this show and this whole project is that music is a wonderful vehicle for people to get their message out about who they are and what they believe in and maybe something even bigger than that and that's certainly something that bob marley did and we get to discuss all these great views and different ways of life and worldviews with people who are a little more informed than we are. And all of these things have gone through the machine of, of popular music and massive corporations, which we can say what we want about them, but it distributes the music. And it means that we've all got to hear Bob Marley and we've all got to hear the Beatles and we've all got to hear all these other things. And that's, that's that's pretty cool. And now we have it all at our fingertips. We can listen to whatever we want, whenever we want for free. And that's pretty awesome. You used to need to physically go get a piece of plastic 
and slap it down on you know on your massive player <laughs> um and now you can you can tap a screen anywhere in the world and listen to it and that's cool too so i i think yeah. it's great to learn more about about what's behind the music I, I i have no problem with how long you took to describe that i think it's great <laughs> I guess in that same line, Mike, uh, you, you know, not only can we listen to Legend on Spotify, but we can go back, as you said, and dig a little deeper into the albums that these songs come from. I'm really intrigued now with um, with Brand's, uh, you know, allusion to maybe his more justice-minded music being out there that uh yeah, you know i really i've done him a disservice by by focusing primarily on this which leads me into something we've talked about and had tangents about a couple of times already and how compilation albums are are used on this list in yeah. particular um this is an album by an artist that i've been fairly content to just have the compilation and I don't know why. I'm not sure if there's some prejudice or bias in that. Um, but I've knocked already on the Sound Logic podcast <laughs> compilation albums for compilation albums' sake, and, and have often said, you know, it's a disservice to the artist. We're not really focusing on their their album construct when we only listen to their uh, their greatest hits or whatever. And um, so yeah, I'm, I guess I'm, I'm challenged through this conversation to now go back and and do the thing that I have claimed I believed in, <laughs> but haven't actually lived into for this artist in particular, and, and that's to go and, and dig into some of these other albums. Well, greatest hits albums and compilation albums can be a really good jumping off point. And we talked very recently right. about... Uh, Pink Floyd and Dark Side of the Moon. I got into Pink Floyd and their albums because I first got their greatest hits called Echoes. And then when I started hearing some of those tracks and reading in the liner notes what albums they were from, I wanted to go get those albums. And I ended up actually giving away that compilation album and just being left with all their individual albums or all the, I bought all the 70s ones. Um, and I can see that as we're looking at the, I'm looking on my screen at the track listing for Legend and seeing all the different albums that they came from. I'm wanting to jump off again, so that's another, I think, another positive aspect of compilation albums. Absolutely, they're not all bad, I guess. <laughs> I think compilation albums can definitely be good, just because they can give a, a good introduction, a good taster to an artist, but definitely like the thing I like about compilation albums is then I can jump off and I can, you know, see, Oh, I kind of like the sound on this song. Let's go see, you know, the, the specific musical period of the artist, you know, that's represented here and go listen to the album that accompanies that. Right. So it's good. as kind of like a hub from which to go forth and sample more music. Right. As, as long as you take that next step, I think the, the danger comes from just assuming that we know an artist based on a handful of tracks that were selected by an executive somewhere uh, to represent them. And whether Definitely. or not they should show up on, uh, <laughs> on a list of the greatest albums of all time is a discussion for another day. <laughs> so, so one other thing, though, that I do want to bring up, mm -hmm. just like for yeah. your own interest, 
is um, when you mentioned that there was a uh, a band from Israel that did a cover of Bob Marley. Um, that ties in really closely with some with some of the interesting connections between Judaism and Rastafarianism. Okay, and those are. Both I'm very interested in religious studies, as I said before, but specifically uh, Judaism and Rastafarianism are two really big interests of mine. Um, and there's a really good documentary, if you're interested on the subject, it's called Awake Zion. And it is a documentary which uncovers some of these connections between uh between Judaism and Rastafarianism, because right on the surface, Rastafarians claim to be uh, some of the lost tribes of Judah. So there's that connection right there. But um, there's also like even even between the two communities, like if you look at a if you look at Crown Heights in Brooklyn, which is where I lived for a year last year, uh, the two communities like the uh, the the Jamaican and Trinidadian communities who have a lot of a lot of cultural connections to Rastafarianism uh, live right alongside the Orthodox Jewish community, and so it's really interesting to see that uh, these two groups of people who consider themselves to be uh, descended from you know Judah, like they're both they both consider themselves to be tribes of Judah. They live right alongside each other, and they have so many of these like common religious and cultural touchstones that you just don't get to see that often between other communities like there's this real enmeshing and there's all of these weird coincidences where there's mm. like these things that don't seem like they should um don't seem like they should line up don't seem like they should connect and yet they do between rastafarianism and judaism so that's kind of an interesting thing if you're uh if you want to watch it it's called awake zion as we move into conclusions here one thing we like to talk about is a lot of these albums are older. This came out in 84. Is it still relevant? Uh, is this music still relevant today? And this is interesting because, as we mentioned, this is a snapshot of Marley's music. But for yeah. this particular collection, is it relevant? I I want to make I want to make a statement, and I wrote this before we started talking, but. I think Marley, and I want to amend that, I think this particular selection of songs is almost timeless. Um, it's just continued to permeate culture and society. I can't think of any time when I've heard it on when I don't want to listen to it. Um, that isn't to say it's the only thing I listen to, but it's just always welcome in my listening sphere. So I think it's always relevant and even though you might not even be a reggae fan at all or have any reggae in your collection but you hear this you're probably going to enjoy it probably have no problem with it being on in if you're out walking around at the mall or if you're out for dinner or if you're at someone's house and they put it on i i can't remember anyone objecting it that being said mm-hmm. we've talked about that there might be another uh selection of marley's music that might be a little more challenging uh, well, musically and lyrically for people to consume. But for this selection, I think it's timeless. But that's me. I think that's pretty well said, Mike. I um, I don't think I've used this as a measuring stick before as we talk through this question, but uh, at the start of every semester on college campuses across this country, uh, I don't know what company is behind it, but people show up to have a giant poster sale as students are decorating their rooms and 
there's always a Marley poster as part of the advertisement. Um, <laughs> or one of the one of the many different posters that you see sort of plastered around as they're selling these decorative items for for students' rooms, and the fact that that's still sort of iconically something that belongs in the young adult growing up experience, um, I, I think right. you know it continues to just be culturally relevant, um, maybe culturally appropriated at the same time. Because uh, obviously there's some corporation somewhere buying, uh, or yeah, using his his likeness to make a bunch of money off of young adults. But um, but yeah, I think that also says that that there's still some relevancy here, um, you know, even though it's been uh, 50 years uh, since much of this music was written. Um, so yeah, I, I'm I'm all all for saying that this is uh, definitely relevant and a relevant album uh i've also had my curiosity peaked i'm i'm now wanting to figure out if those other albums are also just as relevant as this one uh, what about you bram yeah i definitely think that this album it has so many marley songs that i could hear one chord of almost and, and instantly know what i'm listening to hmm. and it has a lot of songs that as i was really beginning to explore Bob Marley's musical selection. I, I just grew up with, grew with me along that, along that path. And so for me, um, this has a lot of memories for me and I'm definitely glad that it, ex it exists as a compilation, even if it does leave out some of his more eclectic work or some of his more politically charged work. I think that um, this definitely has a place in the Marley collection. So what about uh, the position on the list? Uh, this comes in at number 46. It sold a ton of albums. Uh, we all think it's still very relevant. Was it the correct spot? Was it sound logic for Rolling Stone to rank this at number 46? Um, I think it's actually been number 46 uh, all the way back since the original list in 2003 in the coffee table book, which we've referenced a number of times. It's at 46. And in the most recent uh, ranking at also at number 46. So it's, it's pretty set in stone there. Uh, how do we feel about its place? So in my view, it should definitely be, there should definitely be a Bob Marley album that's within the top 50. However, I, my view is actually that they should have swapped it and had Exodus as the uh, number 46 slot and then pushed Ooh, uh, okay. Legend back to Exodus's slot. However, as it stands, uh, I don't think I can put up much of a complaint because, again, like the music on this is so iconic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've talked about that before, how sometimes we say, well, why don't you put one of the studio albums instead of a compilation album. I mean, th this one is, I could argue for, like we talked about, um, for example, Elvis Presley's The Sun Sessions, which when it was released, wasn't overly successful. It simply captured some of his early music that wasn't on a studio recording. Uh, it right. was all singles and just small releases. So it captured that moment when, quote, rock was born, although that's debatable as well. Um, and we thought, we said at that time, well, why don't you just have one of his studio, his, you know, his debut album there. But for this, this, uh, this album in itself 
has been successful and I think has dwarfed um, Bob Marley's other albums in terms of sales. Uh, um, not to say that they're not very good because of course they are. Uh, so I think that's the one argument that this has, that it, it has just been so ridiculously successful over the years. Although I would agree. Yeah, so popular. Yeah, so. for sure. And I, I, would, I would agree. I would like to see one of his studio albums higher up. Um, I, I go back to, as much as I would like to see this higher, personally, I go back to the method by which they compiled this, which was a voting system. And a lot of the people... Um, people in the industry and musicians a lot were people who were making music and growing up in the sixties. And this came out in, uh, this album in particular came out in the early to mid eighties and the music was a lot of it was from the seventies. So maybe that's part of it that a lot of people who were voting on it, uh, grew up with more of the albums of the sixties and the rock albums of the seventies and not reggae. And maybe that's why yet, Still, it was uh, many people voted for it, so it's there. But I, I would see it higher, personally, even though it is a compilation album. And usually, we uh, we're not too kind to those. This is uh, this is very special. <laughs> yeah, I boy, I feel myself quite torn here because um, <laughs> I think this is the most uh, iconic and and beloved Marley album um despite it's being a compilation and so yeah i guess maybe simply because of its popularity it deserves to be here and and maybe a bit higher i, I wish that that wasn't the case though i wish this was a, a marley album because i just i think compilation albums belong on their own list somewhere else not on this <laughs> list of the greatest albums of all time um but yeah i i feel myself kind of wavering as I say that. So um, I really like it and uh, it'll be interesting to see how, how it goes in the re-ranking given the fact that it is a compilation album. Speaking of other albums and, and we, we reference this, we like to talk about if there, if this artist is going to come up again on the top 500 list and Bob Marley does have a couple other entries. Uh, number 169 is Exodus that we mentioned and number 181, uh, Natty Dread. And I don't believe there's any songs from that album on Legend. And I wanted to make a note, and this, I don't think we've seen this before, Ben. Catch a Fire was number 125 in the book only. It wasn't on the 2003 list, and it's not on the 2012 list, but it was in the book. So that's rare. Interesting. Yeah, we I don't need usually to go pull have it that. off the shelf and and see why they had <laughs> that there. Yeah, <laughs> so may, sometimes they swap, like they take one out and they put another one in in its yes. place. Yeah, uh, maybe yeah. that's it. But anyways, okay. So just as a quick note, uh, "No Woman, No Cry" was on Natty Dread. Oh, okay, although I think that was on multiple Marley albums. So. And they used the live version for Legend. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Thank you for. Uh, for correcting that <laughs> we should start by saying thanks so much to bram for joining us um even though you're our our, uh, our junior in terms of years of experience you added a whole ton of stuff to this conversation that mike nor i would not have brought to it and, and we're really grateful for that 
and uh, and grateful for your perspective as well. Thanks for taking the time and um, thanks for being here on the Sound Logic podcast. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. Yeah, I've really enjoyed this. I, I just I just uh, wish that I could have, you know, gone off on a whole nother 50 tangents <laughs> about Bob Marley and Rastafarianism. This is just something. There's so many layers to this once you dig deeper. If we ever, but, if we ever yeah, get out of this uh, pandemic uh, quarantine time, uh, we'll get coffee again and we'll take one of those tangents face to face. You should just start your own uh, podcast there, Bram. <laughs> oh it wouldn't be very coherent have you listened but, uh, to podcasts before <laughs> some of them aren't <laughs> uh, yeah <laughs> I, i'd set a new record for incoherency um, well yes once again thanks bram so much for joining us and we want to thank you for listening to sound logic podcast uh we hope you enjoyed it we hope you'll join us next time when we talk about album number 47 on rolling stones top 500 album list which is john coltrane's a love supreme a love supreme a love supreme a love supreme <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of that. Uh, <laughs> looking forward to it, Ben. Yeah. Uh, Bram, take, take care of yourself, guys. And uh, to all of you, uh, be safe. And we'll talk to you next time. Thanks, everyone. If you like what you hear, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and write a review. Send us a message at our Facebook page, on Instagram, or through our SoundLogic podcast Twitter feed. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed that classic episode of ours. Tune in next time for the next album on the new 2020 Rolling Stone list.